0: In the middle of a series called the problem of god and we have two goals for this series one is that if you are um if you would consider yourself in a relationship with jesus we want to do everything that we can to strengthen you in that relationship and to hopefully provide some answers to questions that your friends and family might be asking you some questions that you might have um, some some information from outside the bible that could help support that and of course um, some some just deep scriptural Reference to why we believe the things we believe, and if you're here this morning and you're um, you're not in a relationship with Jesus, that's fine. We're glad you're here. This is an opportunity, hopefully, for you to hear some information maybe you haven't heard before in a way that perhaps you haven't heard it before. And um, we're we're on your side. I'm not looking to pick a fight with anybody. I'm not a huge fan of confrontation. Um, my goal is just to um, to like I said to to maybe provide a picture of Jesus and the things of faith that. Maybe you haven 't seen before, and as we get ready to go this morning, we tackle perhaps um, one of the biggest problems that uh, that faces us and that that is the problem of evil and and suffering and it's not um, it's a problem on on many levels it 's a, a problem intellectually that we have to try to get our brains around and more than that, a friend reminded me uh, earlier this week that it's a, it's a very personal and it can be a very emotional issue Um, so i don't i don't enter into these waters lightly and know that um you know my heart is is a heart to see um just to see you experience the fullness of life as god as god intended it and um, it life has has suffering in it and there is still the fullness of god to be experienced even in that suffering and of all the belief systems in the world i i truly believe i have dedicated the last 20 years of my life to the cause of christ and to making much of him and to to making him known and i believe that christianity offers the most solid solution that there is to the problem of evil and suffering and i tried to sink it down into a thought like this the question of evil and suffering that faces mankind is answered by the evil and suffering that Jesus Christ endured for mankind. And we're going to um, just simply put, Jesus is the answer to evil and suffering. And I, I don't mean to trivialize, trivialize anyone's suffering or pain. So I'm, I'm, the plan for this morning is this, is that I'm going to hopefully show to you that Jesus really, absolutely was and is who the Bible says that he was and is. We're going to take a quick dive into some ancient history we're going to look at the bible to see how it describes jesus in totality and then we're going to look at the cross of jesus and what that has to say about about our suffering here and now so as we um as we think about this we have the books of matthew mark luke and john the first four books of the new testament some of the best most verifiable resources on ancient history However, I recognize that that could be a problem, and you're like, okay, so you're going to tell me that Jesus says he's real because jesus says he's real i don't i don't I don't want to do that um, The week after Easter we're going to take a look at the accuracy, the authenticity, the reliability of the Bible, and why we can trust it. so I trust it one hundred percent the other teachers, leaders, folks who call crossroads home, um, but there are also Myriads of sources from outside the Bible that teach us that Jesus was a real guy. Funny sounding names, right? Pliny, um, Tacitus, Josephus. There's a book, uh, an ancient Hebrew book called the Babylonian Talmud. And that's a, a collection of writings that rabbis put together that span, they started writing about 70 A.D. and they go through 500 A.D those guys, and another guy named Lucian, those guys all wrote about Jesus. They're they're ancient historians, and when we talk about people like Nero and Caesar, those are the people we look at. They wrote about Jesus. There's one really um, impactful quote that I want to share with you from Josephus, and it's really small, but we'll do our best here. So here's, like, the beauty of the age in which we live in, you can find Josephus on the internet. You don't have to go to seminary or anything like that. You can go to Books A Million and it, like I was, we were in there looking for a gift for somebody and I found a volume, the complete works of Josephus on the shelf in Books A Million. So this, like, You guys can go get this stuff and check this stuff out for yourself. At this time there was a wise man who was called Jesus. His conduct was good and he was known to be virtuous and many people from among the Jews and other nations became his disciples. Pilate condemned him to be crucified and to die. But those who had become his disciples did not abandon his discipleship. They reported that he had appeared to them three days after he, his crucifixion and that he was alive. Accordingly, he was perhaps the Messiah concerning whom the prophets have recounted wonders. So Josephus was, was a Jew. He was a Jewish historian and he kind of took sides with the Romans. Um, so he really didn't have any sort of horse in the race as it were, this is what some historians call the, like the most reliable, extra-biblical information we have about Jesus. So you could, be, um, you could be sitting there thinking to yourself, well, that's fine, Tom. You just went and cherry-picked history and found the, the things that supported your case, just like some of our journalists choose to do today. Um, but so a gentleman by the name of Gary, I always screw up his name. I'm not sure if it's Habermas or Habermas. Um, He came up with this theory called the minimal facts approach, and it says this. Minimal facts approach. This method considers only those data that are so strongly attested historically that they are granted by nearly every scholar who studies a subject, even the rather skeptical ones. So this guy went and he studied all of the people who studied Jesus on the continuum. Those way over here on the left those way over here on the right and everybody in between. And he only took the evidence of Jesus' strongest skeptics. That's the only evidence that he would accept as he was looking at the historicity, like did Jesus really live or not? And these are the things, these are the facts that Jesus' skeptics and opponents agree on. Jesus was an actual historical figure. Jesus was revered as a wise teacher. He was involved in unexplained phenomenon. Skeptical um, scholars refuse to call them miracles, but they, they say that Jesus was involved in several things on several occasions where stuff happened. <laughs> um, and Jesus was executed by Roman crucifixion. Those are all verifiable historical facts that is not just fans of Jesus, but people who are opposed to Jesus can agree upon. So, that's the kind of the, the extra-biblical look. Jesus was a real man. Every, every bit of history that we have that backs up the, the Caesars and the Roman emperors, we have the same sort of stuff about Jesus. We're going to take a quick look now at um, Jesus as the Bible presents him. This is uh, in the book of Colossians, chapter 1. It says, for God was pleased to have his fullness dwell in him. Jesus, when he walked this earth as a man was the image of God. John mentioned this last week. Jesus is God. The attributes of God, all of his love, all of his grace, all of his mercy, all of his kindness, all of his forgiveness, that all reside, resided, resides in the the person of Jesus. Fully God. Jesus was 100% God. So this is from the book of Philippians, chapter 2. Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. You would think that if somebody were going to come to earth, step out of eternity, come to earth, and try to convince people that they were the Savior and they were the Lord of the universe, that death would kind of be one of those things that they're just I'm not going to do that. That's how I'm going to. So, he subjected himself to the pain and suffering of death. He subjected himself to things like sleepless nights and bad breath and friends that betrayed him and relatives that wanted to like have him locked up because he was out of his mind. Every every possible thing that we experience, he experienced. Jesus was not only 100% God, he was 100% man So Jesus was being questioned about who about who he was and this was his reply Very truly I tell you Jesus answered Before Abraham was born I am I am is an Old Testament term for God Almighty for God of the universe for the triune God who has existed before time and creation began People argue that, oh, that's not really what Jesus meant. He was just, you know, some, it was a poetic reference. All you have to do is look a couple verses later at the way the religious leaders of the Jewish people reacted. They knew what that meant. Jesus, in their mind, Jesus was blaspheming and they all picked up rocks and were gonna stone him. And Jesus was whisked away and he evaded death at that point. They reacted so strongly to that because he was claiming to be God. He thought he was God, and that at that point in time, that was punishable by death. Not only did he claim to be God, but he backed it up. The unexplained phenomenon, the stuff that happened on, on several occasions, he turned water into wine. He healed the sick. He fed the hungry. On more than one occasion, he exercised power over nature, calmed waves and storms and wind and he rose people from the dead. He claimed to be God, and then he did things that only God could do. Last thing, Jesus was without sin. he lived this life perfectly. We were having a conversation out in the hallway as we were setting up about how annoying he must have been to his brothers growing up. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus lived this life with every bit of of difficulty and suffering and pain perfectly. He did not sin. He did not fall short of what God had for him. This is is like a $10,000 Christology class at seminary, okay, this one slide. So take a picture of it. It's my gift to you. Jesus was 100% God, 100% man. He thought and stated that he was God. He performed miracles and backed up the fact that he thought he was God, and he was without sin. That's what the Bible tells us about the person of Jesus. So we still haven't addressed. We, We have Jesus was a real person, historically verified. We have what the Bible says about Jesus being fully man and fully God, but we still have not addressed the issue of evil and suffering. Today in the Christian calendar is Palm Sunday, right? We handed out palms to everybody as they come in. It's a day that we remember the day that Jesus was greeted as a conquering king. The palms at that time, they they symbolized victory. When a king would return from, from a campaign, he would be greeted with people waving palms. The closest thing I can think to equate it to today is like a ticker tape parade when when the Patriots win the Super Bowl or somebody wins a World Series, something like that. But it would go sideways quickly. Within five days, Jesus would be um, tried and like this sham of a trial, he would be tortured and he would be executed. By Friday, Jesus would be dead. The palms also serve to remind us that Jesus came as a suffering servant. So I want to... I'm going to read to you a kind of a, a lengthy piece of scripture. If I want you to do your best to try to immerse yourself in the scripture. If you need to close your eyes, close your eyes. Like I, I, I take stuff in better visually, so I would have to read along with this. If you want to read along in your Bible on your phone, that's fine. Um, but it's, the, it's most of, I'm going to read most of John chapter 19. And with just kind of parts edited for the, for the sake of time. But do your best to try to put yourself in this scene, it's the, it's the story of um, Jesus's crucifixion and the, all, that it, all that it entailed. This is John uh, chapter, chapter 19. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head. They clothed him in a purple robe and went up to him again and again, saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and they slapped him in the face. It was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about noon. Here is your king, Pilate said to the Jews. But they shouted, take him away, take him away, crucify him. Shall I crucify your king, Pilate asked? We have no king but Caesar, the chief priests answered. Finally, Pilate handed him over to them to be crucified. So the soldiers took charge of Jesus, carrying his own cross. He went out to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him, and with two others, one on each side and Jesus in the middle. Pilate had a notice prepared and fastened to the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read the sign for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. And the sign was written in Aramaic, Latin, and Greek. The chief priests of the Jews protested to Pilate, do not write the King of the Jews, but that this man claimed to be King of the Jews. Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. When the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, dividing them into four shares, one for each of them with the undergarment remaining. This garment was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. Let's not tear it, they said to one another. Let's decide by lot who will get it. This happened so that the scripture might be fulfilled that said, they divided my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. So this is what the soldiers did. Later, knowing that everything had now been finished and so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, And so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Now it was the day of preparation, and the next day was to be a special Sabbath. Because the Jewish leaders did not want the bodies left on the crosses during the Sabbath, they asked Pilate to have the legs broken and the bodies taken down. The soldiers, therefore, came and broke the legs of the first man who had been crucified with Jesus, then those of the other. But when they came to Jesus, they found that he was already dead. They did not break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced his side with the spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. The story of Jesus' crucifixion is gruesome. It's hard, it's hard to listen to it's hard, to. it's hard to read. It's hard to imagine. I want to try to point out to you several things about about the crucifixion that I think speak to the problem of evil and suffering. And the first one is this, is that Jesus came to live as a man and live among us first and foremost for God's glory and then for our good. And when I say the glory of God, try to... It's a concept that i've wrestled with and try to get my my brain around but try to think of it as the light in which god is seen when we bring glory to god we shine a greater light on him god's glory is perfect right we can't can't be increased anymore and there's nothing we can do to decrease it but we can shine a greater light on it we can make it more visible to more people and the opposite of that is also true we can narrow the light that's on it we can close the field of vision we can make it harder to see god's glory one of the things that evil and suffering do, among other things, is that it shines does not shine a good light on God. It makes people question God. Jesus came like no other man ever did before. He was unique. Unfortunately, lots of people have been executed over the course of time. Jesus was unique in that he is the, well, maybe not the only one, but He did not deserve to die. He was an innocent man. He's the only one who was completely without sin. There's none of us who has ever lived, ever will, that can make that same statement. And because he was so uniquely qualified, the evil and the suffering that he endured was the worst evil and suffering ever to be perpetrated against a person. Jesus would do anything for the glory of God, including suffering. Jesus' ultimate suffering, because of who he was, provides God the ultimate glory and shines a greater light on him. Jesus takes the concept of evil and suffering and t- makes it, takes it from something that hides God's glory to something that reveals God's glory. after Jesus he said this, he looked towards heaven and he prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. That was what Jesus' purpose was. That's why he came to this earth. That's why he suffered so extremely on the cross. The second thing um, I want to talk about is from, from this verse. For he rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son that he loves. Jesus is Death and suffering on the cross conquered sin with a capital S and sin with the lowercase s. Sin with the capital S is the condition that we are all afflicted with because we're sons and daughters of Adam and Eve and the mistake that was made in the garden. Sin with the little s are all the things that we do day in and day out that take away from the glory of God. All the things that you would consider lie, cheat, steal, the Ten Commandments. Those are all the things that we do. So here's, let me say this. Um, If you are suffering or you have suffered, it's it's not necessarily because you have done something wrong, because you have sinned. However, there are many things that we do that directly cause our own suffering. We make bad choices regularly, and as a result, we suffer. We also suffer because of what other people do, right? Neglect and abuse and violence. Other people make bad choices, painful choices, and we suffer. And sometimes sometimes we suffer because of the weight of sin on the world. When Adam and Eve took a bite of that fruit and they brought sin into the world, Everything changed. This perfect paradise that they were in was no longer perfect and things became hard and painful and things like illness and death entered into the picture. Jesus' death on the cross frees us from the reign and rule of the power of sin. He lived a perfect life and died innocently on that cross. He took the punishment that each and every one of us deserved on that cross. And when we say yes to Jesus, so I once, one of my buddies, when we were in college, explained it this way, and it just it stuck with me. It was such a great description. He said, Jesus' death on the cross is like we're trapped in a prison cell. And Jesus opens up, he unlocks that prison cell door, and it's wide open. And it's up to us whether we step through that door or not. And try to follow him. Because he doesn't want us to leave us there in that prison cell of sin. He doesn't want us to stay trapped and caught in all the stuff that comes along with the bad decisions that we make. And we step out and we follow him. And when we decide to do that, he gives us the gift of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is our single greatest ally in this personal battle against sin. The Holy Spirit is the person of God that comes and resides within us. And convicts us and comforts us and directs us and guides us the God of the universe residing within us gives us the power to fight against sin and a day in and day out for those of us who have suffered at the hand of somebody else because somebody else has sinned or who has suffered under the weight of sin in the world Jesus's death on the cross promises that those wrongs will be made right The death on the cross of Jesus Christ is like nothing else that has ever happened. There's nothing else that could have accomplished, that that could have taken away that sting. I highlighted all of this one because this is all important. For this reason, this is from the book of Hebrews, I think it's chapter 2. For this reason, he had to be made like them. Fully human in every way in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Every single pain, every hurt, every sorrow, every broken relationship, every bit of suffering that you have experienced, Jesus walked through. Jesus knows the pain that you are in, the pain that you have been in, or the pain that you are not looking forward to in the future. I have, I often have conversations with people and they'll be going through something really hard. And, um, I, I wish I had, I, I wish I could empathize, like saying, Oh, I know what you're going through. But the truth of the matter is I can't like my story is not the same as your story is the same as his story, it's the same as her story. Everybody's got their own stuff, and it's really, really hard. Jesus, on the other hand, can say, I got you. I walked in your shoes. I know what you're feeling. Follow me, and I will stay with you through this. Jesus can empathize like nobody else. The other thing that Jesus can do is he provides this great example. Because he experienced all the pain and the suffering that we do, The way that he was able to get through that was he kept his eyes fixed on God. Not on the pain, not on the suffering, not on the distractions, not what people were saying. He kept his eyes fixed on God. And he gives us that example. We all know, we've all experienced the hard things of life. And Jesus' death on the cross gives us an example that we can follow when the hard things come our way. This is from Romans chapter eight. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? I um, I asked you to close your eyes and try to imagine yourself in the story of the of the crucifixion and um, try to be a part, an actual part, feel what was going on there. It is really important that we understand the lengths to which Jesus went for each one of us when. The Bible says, God is for us. The key to that is understanding what Jesus did. <clears throat> Today, we have capital punishment. And people are executed by means of, I don't know if this electric chair or lethal injection. It's calm. It's controlled. It's like they try to make it as humane and possible. Crucifixion was not humane. It was not controlled. It was chaos. They invented a new word, they invented the word excruciate, because of the pain that crucifixion represented. It has the same root of, of crucifixion. Jesus was whipped with something called a cat of nine tails, a piece of wood with a bunch of leather straps attached to it, at the end of the leather straps was metal and bone and sharp stuff and the, it would be cast across his back and there were large metal balls in there and it would like crush his skin, it would crush his skin to the point of it separating. And then those bits of sharp stuff would get in there and pull pieces of flesh off of his back. That's how things started. And then the thorn of crowns was placed on his head. And I I couldn't find the sources to back this up, but I've heard this from more than one preacher, that it's been said that the Roman guards who were responsible for carrying the stuff out would often have to get drunk to do it because it was such a horrible thing to have to inflict on people. So these men are pounding on Jesus. They're punching him in the face. They're spitting on him. And then even more so back in the day than it is now, like he was stripped to next to nothing. And that was a huge affront to Jewish eyes. And then he was nailed to a cross. As I was reading and studying for this, one thing I didn't realize is it says that Jesus was pierced through his hands. And that word, just it kind of means arms. And what scientists tell us and archaeologists tell us is that crucifixion happened through the wrists. And as those nails are being driven in, there's a big nerve in there that those nails go through. You ever bang your elbow on something and it hurts really bad? Yeah, it's like that, but way, way worse. It was like somebody put a pair of pliers on that nerve and just squeezed. And then he hung on the cross. <clears throat> and he hung there. And the way doctors and um, what do they call a medical exam, medical examiners, tell us that somebody dies in crucifixion is through asphyxiation. They're, they cannot hold themselves up. They're up on the cross and they cannot hold themselves up. So what they have to do is they have to push up on the nails that are in their feet. They have to fight exhaustion and gravity, and they get themselves in a position where they can take a breath, and then they lower themselves back down. And eventually, they no longer have the strength to stand up. And they become asphyxiated and they can't breathe anymore. That's what scientists tell us the, the cause of death is. So Jesus would push himself up and try and catch a breath. And when he finally realized the end had come, the soldiers came up to him and they jabbed a spear in his side that went through his ribs into his heart and brought f- forth this flow of of blood and water. Those are the lengths that Jesus went to for me and for you to pay the price for the sin that you and I committed. To take evil and suffering from a thing that hides God's glory to make it a thing that shines God's glory. Jesus went to great, great lengths for you. If God is for us, who can be against us? Last one. Therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes on what is seen, not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. This is, that's from uh, 2 Corinthians. Jesus promises us That the suffering that you face in this life, there's a direct relationship to the joy that you're going to feel when we are with him forever. Our sufferings are not in vain because of the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. Jesus' death on the cross gives us hope. It gives us hope for a future with no more pain, with no more tears, no more suffering, no more illness, no more disease, no more anxiety, no more isolation, confusion, loneliness, broken families, no more kids that struggle or are abandoned. No more evil or suffering. Because what we get to celebrate next week is that the evil and suffering of Jesus on the cross doesn't end there. Jesus didn't stay on the cross. He was buried and he rose again. And because of that, we have a hope for a future with him forever In eternity. Jesus' death on the cross does a lot of things, and I would just encourage you this week to take some time, maybe read through John chapter 19 again, some of the accounts in the other gospels of Jesus' crucifixion, and think about what the cross means and the impact that it could have on your life. We we started this series. uh, I'm wrapping up so the band can, you guys can start making your way up. We started this series with a discussion about what a worldview is. And your worldview is the way that you see things, the lenses, like John described really well last week, the lenses through which you view life and where you get the answers for the most important questions in life, the questions of, of origin and morality and meaning and destiny. And the single most important thing about your worldview is what it says about god every worldview that exists has to answer the question the problem of evil and suffering it's not just a christian problem it's a problem that we all have to face whether you are a believer in the new age movement or you're hindu or you're an atheist everybody has to to face these problems in a new age movement It's thought that as long as you don't acknowledge something, if you don't speak of it, it's not real. And you don't have to worry about it. Jesus said evil and suffering is real, and he stepped into the teeth of it. In the Hindu worldview, suffering is is real, but it's your fault. You're paying the price for something you did in a past life, and you will continue to pay that price until you live this life well enough to figure it out. Jesus said, you know what? We all have screwed up. But you could never, I could never, I could never pay the price. So Jesus said, I'm going to pay the price so you don't have to do it anymore. In In the atheist worldview, Um, Evil and suffering simply are. They're not a good thing and they're not a bad thing. They are just an act of random chance. And if you find yourself in a bad spot and you're hurting or suffering, it just kind of is the the brakes. They don't, there's no, um, it just is what it is. (laughs) Jesus' response Evil and suffering is real, and I beat it on the cross.